Hey, welcome to In Doubt. This week on the show, we talk about the really important issue of sexual assault. We're joined by pastor and author Justin Holcomb to help define sexual assault, why it's such a heavy issue, and how the grace of God is the best and only solution. Also, would you consider helping In Doubt financially as this is the last week before our fiscal year end? If you'd like to help us end well and start our next budget year well, then consider donating by calling 1-800-663-2425 or by clicking the donate button at indoubt.ca if you live in Canada or indoubt.com if you live in the States. You know, Satan hates image bearers and the God who they image. I couldn't think of a better way to wreak havoc in someone's life than sexual assault because the effects cover physical, psychological, spiritual, social. I mean, every dimension of who we are and our interaction with ourselves, our world, and those around us is impacted by sexual abuse. Hey, it's Isaac here, and I'm glad you're joining us for this week's conversation. Remember, you can always interact with us and others about each week's topic by heading to our Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram profile. Anyways, this week we address sexual assault with pastor and author Justin Holcomb. You know, there seems to be a recent increase to the topic of sexual sin in the public and even in the church, and it's of extreme importance we know exactly what we're talking about and why it's such a big deal and how we can best help those affected, and maybe that's even ourselves. And I'm happy to have Justin with us this week to help us in this area. So here's our conversation with Justin Holcomb. With me today is professor and author Justin Holcomb. Justin is an Episcopal priest serving in Florida, and he teaches theology and apologetics at Gordon-Conwell and also Reformed Theological Seminary. So it's great to have you with us today, Justin. Thank you, Isaac. It's good to be with you. You know, before we address our our topic that we're going to get into, I'd love for you just to kind of first share with us maybe how, how you're saved, just to help us get us know you a little bit better. I grew up in a Christian home. So uh, I, my parents converted when they were about 22, kind of dramatic conversions on the beach, uh, you know, meeting a, a street or a beach preacher, oh. and <laughs> thankfully grew up in a Christian home where my parents from, I don't remember not believing, I remember just growing up and it was just normal, getting baptized at seven, and you know, the reality of all that uh, the work of Jesus has done for me has been, you know, there's, there's always waves and waves of deeper understanding of it. But, uh, so uh, God's, God's in God's kindness, he, he knows that my personality is the kind that unless I had Christian parents and grew up believing it, uh, I, I'm not the kind of change my mind kind of guy. And uh, so I think, I think if he wanted me to believe he had to give me Christian parents. And so <laughs> he did. That, that That's great. And you're also married. I am married to my wife, Lindsay, and we've been married for 11 years. And we have two daughters who are right now seven and nine, and and we're a foster family. So we we've had usually uh, so far uh, little boys, young boys, living with us for a few weeks or a few months at a time. So uh, we we always have a random family member. <laughs> um, so that's that, good. That, uh, yeah, and, yeah. And we live we live in live in Central Florida. We're in Orlando. And as you mentioned, I'm working as a minister. I'm an Episcopal priest, and uh, I, I help oversee leadership development in the ordination process. We have 85 churches in our geographical regions called a diocese. So I'm always, always looking for leaders who are uh, preach the Bible and 
do evangelism and mission and are good shepherds to the people in, in the congregation. So That's awesome. Well, thank you for that. It kind of helps us know you a little bit more. Um, now, we're, we're going to dive into this this topic. And now it seems as though uh, to me that, you know, obviously sexual abuse and assault is just it's just got a lot of attention just in the media in the last year or so, particularly rising to the surface with the whole, uh, you know, Me Too incidents, which obviously you're aware of. So since so many thoughts and opinions on all of this is just, you know, expressed today, I think it's best just to go to the definition. So some of the some people listening right now, Justin, are very well aware of sexual abuse. Some are not at all because they've never experienced it and they don't really know anything about it. So what exactly do we mean when we talk about sexual abuse Assault. Are those two different things? Are there multiple opinions on uh, the definition? Yeah, let me uh, let me give you a definition of sexual assault, and we'll we'll kind of unpack it from there. First, um, sexual abuse and sexual assault. Some people use them interchangeably. Uh, sexual assault, by the way, is the largest category of of the issue. Uh, rape is a form of sexual assault. Sexual abuse usually refers to abuse of children, and that's how just practically how people use it. But pe- people use it interchangeably. Um, the big idea is you want to have a definition that fits psychologically, legally, and medically, and is not so broad that everything is sexual assault, but also not so narrow that only um, forcible rape counts as sexual assault. So let me, let me give you the definition. Sexual assault is any type of sexual behavior or contact where consent is not freely given or obtained and is accomplished through force, intimidation, violence, coercion, manipulation, threat, deception, or abuse of authority. So it's any type of sexual behavior or contact where consent is not freely given or obtained. And so parts, the parts of that definition are the issue of consent, you know, communicating yes and not being incapacitated or not being so young or unable to actually consent. There's a variety of methods that assault can take place. It's not just a physical, uh, physically violent only or use of a weapon. There's other ways. And, and there's uh, various, there, there's behaviors and contact. There's, there's a whole list of types of behaviors that would, behavior and contact that would count. So we, that definition is a definition from our book, Rid of My Disgrace and and what we what we've done in that definition was try to make it broad enough that um, legal, psychological, medical understandings of sexual abuse, sexual assault would be included. But again, not so broad that you know every single thing would be you know be included. And so the bigger issue is that there, many people have too narrow of a view. They they, they hear some of these stories and go. Well, that, that, that's not that big of a deal. I mean, he just, just touched her and they'll, they'll kind of minimize what happened and because, you know, it's not rape. And so the minimizing is what we're mostly uh, worried about and, and defining, making sure the definition. Um, so there's not really, you asked about multiple options of the definition. Um, different states have, you know, different understandings, but for the most part, the definition we gave, uh, that's kind of the boilerplate uh, standard definition. Okay, no, that's that's really helpful. Now, in terms of that, uh, Justin, obviously, I know your book's uh, a couple years old now, but it's still obviously very prevalent. Um, do you have some sort of rough idea of how like uh, big this issue is? Because again, some people, because they've never experienced it, uh, I don't. I, I remember talking to a friend of mine, and she just didn't know the extent of pornography. 
uh, use. And it really opened her eyes when she found out how much, you know, it, it is in use. So yeah, could you kind of help us know how big this issue is? Absolutely. It's uh, epidemic uh, is the non-dramatic way of just matter-of-factly. One in four women and one in six men are or will be victims of sexual assault in their lifetime. One in four women and one in six men. That's that's enormous. And those those numbers are actually the more conservative numbers. There are other numbers that say one in three to one in five. So we actually, for the sake of not... Uh, you know, if stats can be misused, and so we wanted to take the the most responsible, careful, non-debatable stats. Um, so that means if you're, you know, roughly one in five people, uh, and, and I mean, just to show you how prevalent it is, I'm one of them. So uh, I mean, it, it's most most people think rarely does this happen to men, and that's just a, a myth, and and it happens to. Uh, men and women across the religious spectrum, across the racial spectrum, across the economic spectrum, across geographical. It is around the world. And, and, and that's in the United States. Outside of the United States and some other countries, it's even worse than that. It's going to be one, one out of two women. So those are kind of those are more U.S. Western uh, stats. So it is. And then when I work, I do a lot of work with pastors and I'll just tell them, uh, they go, well, we haven't heard any of these things. I said, well, I'll tell you what, I, I, I dare you to start talking about how God's grace is for the healing for sexual abuse and among other things and watch watch people coming out of the woodwork. You'll be shocked at how many people. And uh, I know anecdotally, uh, just just from life and when you write a book about sexual assault, um, it, people, people who you, because they don't talk about it, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm accustomed to at least one in four out of five of my friends who I know will go, yep, that's, that's me too. So anecdotally, it's, it's one in four, one in five, and statistically, it's the same thing. So it's that's, those are pretty rough uh, numbers to, to hear. Absolutely, definitely. Now, you know, it's, it's interesting, Justin, like something, you know, whether you're Christian or not, something just innate in us says, so there's something wrong with sexual assault, obviously. There's just something natural there. Now, from your studies in the subject, what could you say are sort of God's thoughts on sexual abuse? How does the Bible speak into this issue? That's a really good question. And uh, so let's start in Genesis, because when, when God made Adam and Eve, he, he gave them the call to multiply and have dominion. And part of multiplying and having dominion actually requires marital intimacy to procreate. And so part of the peace and union and shalom that was before the fall, a, a picture of it is marital sex. So it, it's noteworthy that God, God gives them this gift of marital sex, but also how important marital unity is for their calling to multiply and have dominion. So when, when sin enters the world, it's noteworthy that the picture of shalom, of peace, pre-fall, gets so distorted that it's actually used as a weapon to exploit and dominate other people. And so the Bible doesn't say a lot about sexual assault in the sense of, like, quantity. But when it does talk about sexual assault, it'll tell a story about sin and say, sin grew in the world. It grew this much, and then it grew this much. It grew so much that they even did this. And so, and it'll be a story about sexual assault. And so think of some of the stories that, you know, you know, the concubine, the Levite, the concubine and, and the, the, the rape, uh, the rape 
in sexual assault stories. There's a few of them, but it's usually done as a picture to say it got so bad they even they even committed sexual assault and rape. That's so it's it's used as like the pinnacle of how bad it actually gets. Um, and so other places that we do know of scripture, like Psalm eleven five where it talks about things that God abhors. God abhors violence and those who oppress and exploit. And sexual assault fits within the categories of the behaviors that God abhors and wants to redeem and heal and stop. So that's a, that's kind of a shorthand on the Bible on this issue. Yeah, absolutely. That's so good. And, you know, just th- this next question, what, you know, among other kind of forms of assault, what makes sexual assault different, you know, and because I'm sure no one just, you know, puts, you know, sexual assault in the same as just, just violence or just, you know, verbal abuse or emotional abuse or things like that. So what, what is the weight of sexual uh, abuse? Mm. Well, one of the weight is, it goes back to what we just talked about is that, and I'm not saying sex is a, the core of who we are, uh, but it's a significant piece of our identity and how God made us and, and so for, to take, to take the, the gift that God gave us, to have it be distorted and misused as a way to create pain and suffering for someone else, that's, that's the depth of what happens. So what happens is sex, if, if, you know, if Satan hates image bearers and the God who they image, uh, if, I couldn't think of a better way to wreak havoc in someone's life than sexual assault because the effects cover physical, psychological, spiritual, social. I mean, every dimension of who we are and our interaction with ourselves, our world, and those around us is impacted by sexual abuse. It it can grind someone down. So the effects are, the only thing more staggering than the statistics that we talked about are the effects. And so the, the reason it's a different category is because it's so comprehensive and so intense in the destruction that it can cause and the lingering, the lingering effects of it. And so you actually create massive devastation and in such a way that people feel shame and are silent. So there's tons of people suffering in shame. If you had, if you had a, just a, a medical illness or you were missing you know, had a horrible tragedy where you're missing a, a limb or you have a sickness or a disease. You know, that that's normal in the sense of people knowing it and talking about it and giving you empathy. When when you when something happens to you that makes you feel like you're to blame and it's shameful and dirty and you feel disgusting and filthy and it causes you shame and silence, you, you have this amazing amount of pain and destruction that you aren't you're not encouraged for the most part to share with other people because you feel like you're to blame for some reason. And you've been told that you're to blame. So it's a, it's a, if I'm thinking in the, in the most way, the way to be most effective with evil, it is a powerful tool for evil to destroy and silence God's images. And uh, I couldn't think of a, I couldn't think of a better tool for Satan to use. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you, you kind of already explained this, this next question a little bit, but maybe I can, I can rephrase it. When considering, you know, the, the effects of sexual assault on someone, and I mean, you even shared personally, this is, this happened to you. What, what, what is the kind of the one thing that sexual assault does uh, to the victim that for those who haven't experienced it, they, they should know, if that makes sense. 
Yeah. That, can I give you two? Yeah, absolutely. Okay? Absolutely. Okay. One is it causes trauma. The best word to, to, uh, give the comprehensive picture of what sexual assault does is it causes trauma. And that trauma is psychological, spiritual, emotional, physical, uh, and social. It causes severe trauma. Uh, most people during an assault and after feel anxious, fear, and trauma. Now, the, the effect of that, for the most part, is some type of self-blaming, uh, some way of do- blaming oneself. So victim, victims blame themselves. They think, well, why didn't I say more? I should have known better. And our society victim blames. What were you wearing? How much were you drinking? Well, you know, I mean, just the, the, the default of American, Canadian, Western ways of thinking are a, we're a victim blaming society and we're a shaming society. And so uh, it, it's, so the big thing is it creates trauma, but that trauma, uh, the effect of that trauma is suffering and silence and self-blame. Yeah, no, that's, that's powerful. Now, I, I, I read that in your book, Rid of My Disgrace, um, you say that the grace of God. Uh, now we're coming to the, the solution part. Is is the solution to those who've experienced uh, obviously sexual assault? So I I'm wondering. Uh, we do still have some time. So could you take some time to explain um, the the fact that no other solution will actually ultimately eternally fulfill the the trauma uh, that comes from this, and and how exactly the grace of God can actually be a lasting lasting solution? Yeah, the the only option if you don't have grace of God in the mix is some type of homemade ritual. And one option is what's called positive self-statements. Well, positive self-statements are when you basically tell yourself the opposite of how you feel. And you, you know. And what ends up happening are positive self-statements actually end up, or positive self-affirmations, actually only work for one group of people, and that's narcissists. And, and that's actually, this is actually a psychological study that the only group it works for are narcissists. What it actually does to people who need it, people who are feeling low self-esteem or whatever category you want to use, is it spikes one's self-esteem for a little bit, but then it actually is cruel because it reminds them, hey, by the way, no one else is saying this to you and you're saying it to yourself. How lame is that? So it actually rubs their nose in their shame and re- reinforces their low self-esteem. So it actually is cruel to give someone that. So I use that as an example because, you know, the things I might come up with and say, hey, Justin, you know, you're, you're smart and, you know, some people like you well, you know, I come up with my self-statements. Well, then you look at what God says about us in Christ, and you look at New Testament words, Paul, Peter, and John, who said things like this. If you're in Christ, you are pure, perfect, and righteous, holy, without spot, blemish, or wrinkle. Like, those, what God says about us is way better than we could ever make up about ourselves. So let, let me give you an example on um, some of the some of the major effects of sexual assault are distorted self image, uh, shame, anger, despair, uh, minimizing what's happened to us, or guilt. Some people feel guilt. So let me let me just talk about shame as an example. If we have time, we can talk about uh, identity or something like that. But shame, the three pictures of shame in the Bible. By the way, shame is the major effect that most people feel. Sexual assault survivors or victims feel, and they feel dirty, filthy. And like they're to blame. The pictures in the Bible for shame are this: naked, dirty, and outside the camp. So you know, Adam and Eve were naked and ashamed after sin. Or the the Bible, the imagery associated with shame in 
the Bible is filth, like you're dirty with shame, and or outside the camp, not a part of the community. Well, I couldn't think of three better images of how sexual assault victims feel. They feel vulnerable and naked, literally naked, but also just emotionally vulnerable. They feel dirty. That's why so many people shower after they've been abused. And they feel they feel isolated and alone and uh, they feel broken like they're damaged goods. Well, look what the gospel actually does. Because of the work of Jesus, Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to take on... Um, I'm going to take on your nakedness. I will, I will take on nakedness on the cross, and I will give you my robe of righteousness and clothe you. And I will, I will, I will take on your, the filth that you feel, the effects of filth. You're not dirty, but you've, you've had sin done to you. I will take on any sense of filth that you have, and I will be crucified outside the camp. And I will take on your isolation so you can be, you can be robed in my righteousness. You can be clean in my blood and you can be adopted by my father, I will take your nakedness, your filth, and your isolation, and I will exchange that with you. So that, that's one picture of how the gospel, the, the actual, not just the effects of the gospel, the actual work of Jesus apply in those situations. And so that's, that's just one snapshot. There's, there's more, but that's, that's just one example. Yeah, that, no, that, and that's so helpful, Justin. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, I can imagine uh, that, you know, having the courage and the boldness to open up to someone about this issue can be uh, hard and, and difficult. So I guess my next question is when someone, you know, is vulnerable enough with you to share with you their experience of being a victim, um, wh- what are the what are the best ways that we can respond? Like, h- how do we respond to that? Well, you nailed it, first of all. It does take bravery and courage. So if someone's going to tell you such an intimate story of their suffering— one of the first things you can say is, thank you for telling me and trusting me with such an important thing. So just literally saying thank you to them. And the other thing, this sounds really simple, and this is beautifully simple. Listen and believe them. Indicate that you're listening and indicate that you believe them. Because out of they, they did a study on survivors. They said, what, what's the most helpful thing that people have done? And they gave them like 10 things at the top of the list all the time is being listened to and believed like the, the power of, you don't need to be a counselor or a minister or trained in this, the power that other people have by simply listening to their story, not asking probing questions, just saying, thank you for trusting. Thank you for trusting me and telling me such a powerful story of your suffering and, and whatever else and indicating, we're just saying, I'm sorry that happened to you, and I believe you. I mean, just indicating, listening, and believing goes a long way. Don't ask probing questions. Uh, don't minimize it by saying things like, well, at least blank didn't happen to you. And indicate that almost everyone who tells you their story, you're going to have to remind them that's not your fault. And be, be patient with them because, um, you know, reassure them of your love. Reassure them of God's love. Um, and depending on, depending on if they're telling you a recent story or a past story, if it's recent, encourage them to actually get medical care and talk to a therapist or a pastor, someone who can um, kind of be there with them. Uh, and I, I want to I hit the bullseye of what, what the, the main issues are, but listening, listening and believing and being careful about what you're saying, being, being clear to say things like, I'm sorry this happened to you. I believe you. It wasn't your fault. Those are the main things. Or 
or encouraging them to cry. Like just like when they start wiping their tears and saying, I'm sorry, you just saying, you don't have to apologize for this. Like just really basic human things. Don't, don't theologize it away. Don't, don't start talking about God and the problem of evil. Don't ask for more gory details and, and don't minimize it in any way. That, absolutely. Now, that for the for the last thing before we wrap up, so this is a huge question for a one minute answer. Um, what can churches and and I even think just youth groups and Sunday school rooms? What can we be doing to really prepare uh, our people for this world where sexual assault is is a living and active thing? Talk about it matter of factly, but carefully. Train parents. My my wife and I wrote a book called God Made All of Me, which is a children's book. Um, because children, one in five children you know, under the age of 18 will be sexually abused in their lifetime. So uh, preparing children, you know, parents, equipping parents to prepare children for body safety, uh, awareness, making sure that our churches are cultures of um, grace and peace, that they're safe. So making sure that you have policies for volunteers, making sure that when people come forward, they're believed uh, making sure that there is pastoral care or at least counselors who are referred to, and being aware that our Bible talks about sin. We should be the most we should, we should be the least clueless and naive people. But for some reason, the church is more naive and it seems nearly clueless sometimes on the effects of sin and that it's out there. And since Satan is seeking to devour people and not turning, not 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 being naive about the ways that evil destroys and assuming that it's not within the church, the church that the numbers of sexual abuse in the church are the same as outside of the church. It is horrendous of what people have experienced in the churches. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, th- this, this topic, obviously for those listening, this is a huge topic and uh, for the sake of our time, we can't go even deeper, but I'm very thankful uh, for you, Justin, just for your wisdom uh, on this sensitive topic. Uh, in our short time, you were able to give some super solid things that I hope our listeners will take with them. So to learn more about Justin, to read his blogs, excerpts from books, and check out of his books, including Rid of My Disgrace, which is a book that he wrote with his wife, I believe. Um, about this issue. Yeah, you can just head to justinholcomb.com and I can provide the links for that on our episode podcast page. But anyways, thank you again, Justin, a lot. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you, Isaac. That was pastor and author Justin Holcomb. If this conversation has taught you something, it's helped you, or has impacted you in any way, we'd love to hear from you. You can simply direct message us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or even email us at hello at indoubt.com. And since we've just talked about this you know, sensitive topic, I just want to provide uh, just a word of, of hope. God isn't only our maker, but he's our healer as well. You know, he constantly calls us to himself, enabling us to walk in the newness of life. He reestablishes our ultimate purpose, meaning, and value as being made in his image. And it doesn't matter whether you've done the unthinkable or suffered the indescribable. God takes the worst of sinners and the most broken of victims and gives them abundant life in Christ. There is no evil he can't triumph and there's no damage he can't restore. So I really hope that these truths have encouraged you today. If you didn't catch the beginning of this episode, I mentioned that this is the last week for you to help us if you feel led to reach our financial goal for the end of our charity's budget year. If you'd like to help us end strong and start strong, I'd ask you to consider the possibility of donating, no matter the amount. Uh, If you're interested, simply call us at 1-800-663-2425 or 
click the donate button at indo.ca if you live in Canada or indo.com if you live in the States. Connect with us online this week. We'd love to hear your stories, your suggestions, your comments, and more. You can find us again on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Well, I'm Isaac, and next week we chat with Christian apologist Abdu Murray, who's just written a book on saving truth in a post-truth culture. We'll see you then. Indoubt Ministries exists to bring a biblical perspective into the relevant issues of life and faith that young adults face every day. For more information, check out indoubt.ca if you live in Canada and indoubt.com if you live in the U.S. Thank you.